1: Hello, listeners. After we recorded this podcast, we had some breaking news on Sunday night. Luis Rubiales, on Piers Morgan's uncensored TV show, resigned as RFEF president, stating that he would not be able to continue in his role, given the FIFA suspension and other measures taken against him. In the sensational interview, he explained his decision. So here's a clip of how it sounded. About my resignation? Yes, I'm going to do
2: I'm going, going to yeah, I'm going to. Yes, because I cannot continue my work. You have to focus on your dignity and to continue your life. Because, uh, if not, probably you are going to damage people you
0: love and the sport you love.
1: He also issued a statement to the Federation explaining his decision, citing the damage it had caused to Spanish football and its reputation, as well as the 2030 World Cup bid. He also refused to acknowledge any wrongdoing, calling it a disproportionate campaign full of falsehoods, and said that he has faith in the truth and that he will work to make sure this prevails. We'll let you be the judge for yourselves, listeners. So from now, enjoy the podcast we recorded earlier today. Correct, set of place from Nico Williams. Yamaha.
2: History, yet more! He's only 16, but now Lamir Yamal becomes Spain's youngest ever goal scorer. And didn't he take it
1: well? Hello, everyone, and welcome to La Liga Lowdown. It's our free pod for all listeners and subscribers. I'm your host, Matt Clark, delighted to be joined by Paco Pollet, fresh from a stag weekend in Albacete. Paco, how are you feeling? <laughs>
2: not exactly that fresh <laughs> but yeah feeling pretty tired overall uh I want to uh take the chance to to give a big shout out to my friend pablo who is getting married next month uh mid october and yeah we enjoyed a a pretty hectic weekend over at uh, albacete and its you know world famous fair Not really world famous because it has many, many interesting things, but because of obviously the the party atmosphere that is, you know, impregnating the whole city for, I believe, two consecutive weekends. So, a few rough days upcoming for many people going over there to to Albacete. Ah, suerte, Pablo. Uh, Well, (laughs) I'll tell you who is feeling
1: fresh, and that is Spain because they're coming off the back of a thumping, historic 7 1 win away in Georgia to get their qualification campaign firmly back on track. Plenty of history made here, Paco. Alvaro Morata got a hat-trick. Lamine Yamal became Spain's youngest ever player and then youngest ever scorer on the same day. 16 years and 57 days old he was on that night, taking Gavi's records on both occasions. Just an incredible talent, Paco. First of all, the entire game as a whole, how good was Spain?
2: well spain were far superior and actually i i'd say that uh georgia were quite lucky to to not allow even more goals because uh, if you see the you know the game the the first couple of of chances for spain were very very clear they had uh, almost two three big chances before the 20th minute when spain were able to finally open the the scoreline but uh yeah overall i think that you know both uh, squads were at two entirely different levels And uh, you could actually see that. I I believe that uh, the rain pouring during the second half uh, actually was uh, an advantage for the home side. Uh, first up, because they were able to score and and you know narrow the gap at the at the beginning of the of the second half with not the best you know not the Clanger. best performance by Unai Simon. Uh, he wasn't you know in tip top shape in that in that play when Chaked uh, Tathpe was the one in charge of of scoring the the four one. But overall you know, so, so superior that you can not actually really draw uh, interesting conclusions from this game, regardless of, you know, Morata scoring three, Jamal being the, the youngest player to to score, also uh, Nico Williams scoring, Dani Olmo with that, you know, typical Dani Olmo play on, on the wing and taking advantage of a rebound and finally being able to finish the play. Overall, it was a very easy game for Spain. They could have scored even even more goals, but uh, yeah, we have uh, a, a number of, of um, players, names here and there that we can pinpoint, even though as a collective I think that you shouldn't really draw any big conclusions from this game.
1: Yeah, as we saw um, in the World Cup, Spain beat Costa Rica 7-0 and then uh, failed to win another game in the tournament. So, yeah, yeah careful to uh, not get carried away. It's the first time Georgia have ever conceded seven in an international in their history. Uh, 33 shots from Spain, 12 of them were on target, 4.19 xG, an absolute roller of a performance. You mentioned Danny Olmo, he likes playing in Tbilisi because, as we discussed on the podcast last week, he scored that 90th minute winner the last time Spain were in Georgia, and that was a crucial, very tense Mm. 2-1 win. So for them to now win 7-1 shows potentially either Georgia going one way and Spain going the other, or potentially just, as you say, a a really hot night for Spain. But let's talk about the history maker. He was on the front covers of all the major sporting newspapers in Spain, Marca As, Mundo Deportivo, and Sport, of course, in Barcelona. An incredible record he took, not just in Spain, but he's the youngest player of any European nation to score in any game since 1906. So that's the kind of level we're talking about here. He's obviously broke out for Barca at the start of this season. And for him to come in and, and make his mark. And, and what a goal it was. Just, I mean, he's an incredible talent, isn't he, Paco?
2: Yeah, I think that in that sense, you have to give uh, credit to both Xavi and Barca for really betting their their hopes on this uh, season and, and hinging most of their of their uh potential chances of of doing well in any competition on on this kid because ultimately you know we did see a a very recent example with with Ansu Fati only i believe three years ago a couple of seasons ago with with barca uh you know putting all of the pressure on top of uh, of him and ultimately uh injuries were were the ones to stop him on his on his tracks everyone knows what happened with with Ansu you know leaving Barca last summer uh trying to once again regain or recover his his best form and uh, obviously that is also a, a big blow to to the Spanish uh, national team's uh, chances because Ansu Fati was also destined to become a very uh you know a crucial uh, key figure in in the um, a key, a key role player inside the squad. Um, Lamin Yamal is is having more or less that kind of uh, prospects in in his future, but at the, at the at the same time he's been delivering very very consistently. You know, in the same way Ansu Fati was a bit more um, uh, I, w- I wouldn't say intermittent in Spanish. Intermittent. He he was able to score in one game and the following one don't don't really having an, an impact. Lamin Yamal He's able to have an impact in every single game you know even if he comes from the bench or especially as a starter in the last few games for barca he has been deserving all of the high praise that he's been receiving and you know people calling him the next big thing so far they are uh 100 accurate on their assessment and and in this game you know it was his first ones for for spain and he seemed to be playing for for the spanish national side uh all of his life even though he's only 16. And he was very comfortable playing on the wing, very comfortable with his, you know, diagonal runs inside the, the, you know, the the the, the center half of the of the pitch, and finally, you know, scoring in the second in the second half, uh, his first goal for for the Spanish national side. I think that all of the praise being received by this kid is is well deserved, and you know, I'm pretty hopeful that he uh, can avoid all of the pitfalls that uh, eventually plagued. Ansu Fati's uh, career and become, uh, as I said, a key player for for Spain in the future.
1: A sensational first game for Elamin Yamal, and as you say, let's hope he's not uh, played into the ground like Ansu and potentially Pedri as well have been in recent seasons. Yeah, so as we say, Manuel Ashvili in the Georgia goal, Valencia player, conceded seven. Uh, do you think, how did you assess his performance? Do you think he was at fault for any of the goals, or was he just kind of the the sole line of defence in a a pretty ramshackle georgian defence
2: yeah overall i think that the the defence and the whole squad is more to blame than the that the keeper i think that in most of the goals, Mamar Dasvili was just unable to to do anything. Um, he had a couple of good saves, as I said earlier. Uh, Spain had the chance to to score even more goals. And uh, hopefully he isn't going to really uh, notice this, this kind of hard blow uh, by allowing seven goals um, in his following game for, for Valencia, which, by the way, remember, he once again will uh, face Álvaro Morata, uh, only uh, a couple of days uh, later in that uh, Valencia Atletico de Madrid game, um, but yes, you know Valencia's keeper really couldn't do anything. Most of the of the of the plays uh, were very clear chances for Spain, and they obviously capitalized on on that opportunity, on those opportunities, and and Mamar Dasvili was. Um, in Spain we, we often say estaba vendido, you know, it's not. <laughs> he had no no chance, you know, no, absolutely no chance of doing anything. So I don't think that he's going to be really worried about it, even though it's a very harsh scoreline on, on him.
1: A quick word on Álvaro Morata, because his last two appearances, he scored two in the 7-0 win over Rayo, and he scored a hat-trick in a 7-1 win over Georgia. So for Morata, it is absolutely raining goals at the moment. He's now moved up to 33 international goals. He's closing in on a really elite list of the top Spanish scorers. He's only a couple behind David Silva. And um, yeah, he's just scaling the heights, isn't he? And, and for many, he's a divisive figure, but his record is fantastic.
2: Yeah, for, for most of his career, my main gripe with uh, Morata was actually that for being a number nine, he didn't um, he wasn't clinical enough for a top elite number nine. And that is an issue which, in my view, really played him back in the day when he played for Real Madrid. Later, playing for Juve, uh, obviously in his tenure at Atletico de Madrid. But as you said, it seems that you know he might have been practicing or something has you know clicked recently, or I don't know the reason, but he has been much more focused in that in that uh, commitment to, to scoring in, in in the first couple of games this season. And as you said, you know, five goals in his last two appearances, both for his team and for the Spanish national team. I think that for the better of the world or for the worse, he's Spain's number nine at this point. And uh, the Spanish national team has to not endure. That wouldn't be the proper verb, but has to do them try to get the most out of him. Okay, as long as no other true reliable number nine appears after uh, we've seen a number of uh, different, uh, you know, tenures or eras with uh, relevant strikers. Everyone remembers, you know, uh, Raúl González back in the day. Later, his uh, the succession took place, and, and David Villa came in. David Villa and Fernando Torres they were complementary on on a, on a number of levels. Villa was, you know, the really really specialist. The real specialist in that in that sense of of being able to score, especially in clutch moments, as we as we did see in the 2010 World Cup. But after them, you know, the the number nine spots has been all, always up for grabs, and we have seen many examples of players coming and going. Jose Lu, we have seen Borja Iglesias, we've seen, or we didn't see, uh, better said, Yago uh, Aspas. Uh, with Rodrigo Moreno. Rodrigo Moreno too. But nobody has really made uh, the number nine spot in in Spain his own, and maybe Morata is the one with more uh, you know uh, power uh, to to really uh, claim that spot at this point because he had this he has experience he has the numbers so far uh, he has obviously taken advantage of a very good um, three four years of of uh, Spain's competitive uh under Luis Enrique you know getting to very far in the in the in the nation's league and uh, even though the the World Cup was a failure overall I think that Spain have been doing quite well in the last three four five years and Morata was there to you know capitalize on that on that front but yeah I, I think that if he keeps being this consistent, so so um, for the 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 rest of the of the season and the rest of the competitions, he's involved. He's going to be very beneficial for Atletico Madrid. I, I would even say that if Rizman uh, step up uh, to the plate in the way he did that season, and Morata keeps scoring, I would say that Atletico are a big Champions League and La Liga contender, and also obviously for Spain, the, the chances of you know making it into the Euro twenty twenty four and uh, you know the following. Uh, League of Nations uh, qualifiers I think that he's going to be hands down the the number nine and he will have done all of the merits necessary to, to be
1: mm. Yeah, well, next up for Spain is uh, a home game against Cyprus it's been played in Granada Nuevo Las Calmanes and mm-hmm. that'll be played on Tuesday evening we'll review that one in our midweek pod coming up so look out for that uh, just a final couple of points I suppose Luis de la Fuente there was criticism before the game and then some of the press and radio were talking about his kind of vindication of this is now his team, the 7-1 win, really kind of rubber stamps his position as, as as coach and there's no doubt anymore. It was interesting that he used a lot of his players that he brought through them, the 21s. I know Fabian Ruiz had a very good performance. Hmm. How do you see his his kind of position as, as the coach? Obviously, it's a, a fantastic result. Do you see him now having continuity for some time?
2: Yeah, I don't. I don't expect uh, change happening uh, as long as the whole uh, turmoil inside the Spanish Federation uh, keeps going. You know, I think that uh, in a moment where nothing is really set in stone inside the the Real Federación Española de Fútbol, I think that they are going to try to touch uh, as uh, uh, you know as as little as possible everything which is going on with the with the men's side. Obviously, the women's team is, is a whole completely different uh, issue, but I think that once uh, Luis De La Fuente came, uh, you know, into the spotlight and asked for forgiveness and apologized, said he was sorry for the whole, you know, clapping at Rubiales uh, controversy, um, no further action is going to be taken against him, uh, which is weird in my view, and uh, you know, I think that they are going to try to touch as little as possible, try to, mm, you know, get... All of the all of the different elements into a bunker like uh, relationship between the press and the media and the and the Sp- and the Spanish national side because what they really are st- striving for is for uh, you know um, I wouldn't say a relaxed atmosphere inside the national team but they want to be as um, as l- the least disturbed. Uh, possible, okay Luis de la Fuente really wants to build up his own personality into the squad, it's going to be tough even though he has the advantage of, as you said bringing in some of the players who were uh, really important with uh, the under-21s uh, we have seen that, for example back in the day, Abel Ruiz, who was the you know, captain for the under-17s, under-19s, under-21s um, he has been also called with with the the grown-ups, you could say and that kind of continuity is going to be, I believe, uh, you know, more and more uh, kept in the future by De la Fuente because he wants to really bring in players who who he perceives as his own, which he has already coached in the in the you know in the under twenty ones or even in the under nineteens uh, three years ago. He really uh, can rely on on their on their judgment and their performance. And, you know, slowly brushing off and brushing away players who can be reminiscent of the Luis Enrique era. You know, and that is something that we are going to uh, be seeing slowly but steadily in the following months.
1: Yep, indeed. Continuity for now. Coming on the day, we're just recording this not long after the breaking news that Germany have sacked Hansi Flick just a few months away from the home Euros. So just goes to show that it's not easy, this international luck. There's there's a lot of factors involved and, and Flick has paid the price for a, a very poor run of form.
2: Yeah, but, you know, I think that is uh, something which could be more or less expected after what happened uh, last weekend. The level of, of demand in that squad is very, very high because they are expected to deliver... Greatness and whenever they fall short of of those kind of uh, expectations, uh, criticism always ensues and Rudy baller was very harsh many of the of the German press was incredibly damning on on the you know on the on the management and and yeah flick was uh, not very cere- ceremoniously uh, dismissed and uh, by the way Boller is going to be in charge uh, in a, as a you know a placeholder um, manager till the, the following one comes in but yeah really not the best uh, perspectives for for germany as you know the the euro 2024 is, is slowly coming uh, into the the horizon. I think that they are going to improve. Always Germany uh, needs to be uh, really considered in in any big tournament. But but yeah, things not looking really well for the for the Germans.
1: Yeah, Mark andre Testagen very frustrated with his defenders in front of him last night. And uh, Gundogan saying after the game, well, perhaps we're not as good as we we think we are. So yeah, a lot of self reflection for needed for Germany. And the announcement coming just as their basketball team were proclaimed world champions. Yeah, so a that,
2: real. That, 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 that yeah it could be more or less that uh you know uh, all of the smoke and mirror stuff you know taking advantage of a big uh sports uh and or an entertainment uh event to you know quietly announce a big shift in the in the in the football world in in germany but yeah overall um, i think that the the main reason for flick failing is that following through after such a um, such an iconic Twelve years, I believe, it were uh, being managed by Joachim lowe uh, He replaced me in, I believe, twenty twenty one. Only a couple of years ago, yep. uh, it was going to be a very, very tough uh, couple of of shoes to to feel. And uh, ultimately, as I said earlier, the the demands and expectations of the of the German um, of the German fans. Couldn't be met upon, and and that's why a change has happened.
1: Indeed. Just before we move away from the internationals and go to a break, I just want to put the Lamina Mal age into more context. So he was born in the summer of 2007, and the, the previous Spain game before his birth had players starting for them as follows Peca Reina, Sergio Ramos, Marchena, Javi Navarro, Capdevilla, David Silva, Cesc Fabregas, Joaquin, Iniesta, Xabi Alonso, and David Villa. So incredible! Some of those names, some of whom are still playing, and they literally and, were playing for Spain before he was born.
2: And the manager was Luis Aragonés. Yep, a very questioned uh, Luis Aragonés, uh, with his, you know, his role as uh, the Spain's national team manager, put into jeopardy almost after every single game because many people don't want to remind, uh, to be reminded of that and be and remember that but i do remember that uh especially the press um you know which is set in 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 madrid or located in madrid which is national press over here in spain were very very critical very very harsh on luis aragonés because he was the one who decided that raúl wasn't going to be called um, nevermore uh for the national side that david villa was going to be the next number 7 ultimately luis aragonés was right and the national press as it sometimes happens, was wrong. (laughs) Indeed. And on
1: that note, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about a new arrival at Villarreal and uh, maybe a bit more about Raul himself. And then also another man we just mentioned, Sergio Ramos. Join us after the break.
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to La Liga Lowdown. There's no La Liga this weekend, but we have plenty still to talk about. And Villarreal have made a change of coach over the international break. Paco, there were lots of rumours that it would be Raúl. Instead, it's
2: Pacheta uh, Your take on that, please. Well, in our uh, current episode of the international break uh, lowdown, which should be renamed uh, whenever there's a break in, in La Liga, yeah, we have to talk obviously about Villarreal, which is one of the biggest names in the, in the first uh, four games of the of the league after kike setien was sacked uh in my view properly sacked and he never should have be, begun the season because you know the the locker room couldn't stand him he couldn't stand the locker room he was just this kind of you know random guy uh i know there are many kike setien believers out there most of them are listeners by the way and i give them a shout out but you know, he was never the proper manager for the job, and we saw that in the first uh, four games of the of the league, he was sacked. And the replacement, you know, back in the day, Real had this kind of not tradition, but this kind of reputation of being one step ahead of the of the curb. And whenever they sacked a the manager, most of the time it was because they already had the replacement you know in their in their in their bag and that most most of those moments came thanks to the you know um, thanks to the knowledge and wise overall um management of José Al Ganeza who is no longer with us unfortunately he he passed away uh, last year i believe um and uh, Yeah, it was very weird for Villarreal actually sacking a manager and not having, you know, at least talk to the replacement. So uh, if we leave that aside, Villarreal really wanted Raul to be the one in charge. Um, And Raul was, what you know, ready in some sense to listen to Villarreal's offer. Actually, Real Madrid were ready to let him go because ultimately whenever you leave uh, or you release a manager from his contract, when you are Real Madrid, 99% of the time, you know that if the time comes around and you ask that manager to be back, that manager is going to be there uh, in a heartbeat, okay? So Real Madrid were ready to release uh, Raúl, and actually they had already spoke uh, spoken with uh, Arbeloa, who is in charge of the, um, on the under-19s, but ultimately Raúl was, uh, I, I don't know if he got cold feet, but uh or maybe not beginning an actual season with a new squad and having to you know settle into an already established locker room with players whom he might know or others he might not really know at this point but ultimately i believe that it was raul the one who said that you know he turned down the offer because ultimately he's waiting for his chance in real madrid uh the, the way i see it or at least you know uh per sources i i have more or less uh, understood that Raúl is, is managing Real Madrid-Castilla. Uh, he was very close, remember last season, of promoting to Segunda División. Mm-hmm. Uh, he yeah. lost the chance against El Dense in the literal last minutes of the of the knockout. And just in case things go all right this year under Ancelotti, which I believe isn't going to happen, but, you know, uh, this is football and, and you never know, uh, Raúl is just playing the the waiting game because he firmly believes that eventually he'll become the manager for the first team and that's why he uh turned down the offer and Pacheta was the number 2 uh, the the second runner up and i think that it was uh, this kind of debate which i uh kickstarted uh, a couple of hours ago on on my twitter feed with names like Mendy Libar landing in in Sevilla or Pacheta landing in in Villarreal and and I have many questions about that, uh, about the fact that maybe those kind of you know lower profile managers are really having their first chance or their real first shot at greatness with good squads because most of them m- most of them are really used to you know scrap for uh, yeah,
1: relegation fight
2: relegation fight and for salvation with Valladolid or M- Mendilivar back in the day with uh, Eibar or with Levante back in the day. Okay, so uh, seeing those profiles land really big gigs at Villarreal or Sevilla, you know, it made me think about if we are finding ourselves in me- in the middle of a manager drought over here in Spain because most of the top-tier talent is ultimately leaving for other and greener pastures and... um Iraola is the perfect example of that. Yeah. Unai Emery is the perfect example of that. Ultimately they are going for Premier League uh positions and and jobs. It was reported, and,
1: sorry to interrupt, it was reported that Lopetegui while he hasn't got
2: a club, he was still saying that he'd rather wait for a Premier League job to come about yeah. rather than take a La Liga job. And that's what made me thought uh, think about this. You know, I, I I'm I was thinking that maybe it's true that, you know, it was uh, finally due eventually that these profiles or these managers had a shot of, uh, you know, coaching big sides or like second tier sides, because obviously Atletico, Real Madrid and Barça are in another dimension. But we're talking about Real Sociedad, Emmanuel Alguacil. We're talking about Betis, Pellegrini. Alguacil was promoted from the academy and that's another whole different story, but... Pellegrini has, uh, you know, very uh, large and, and, and very experienced resume. And and in that sense, Betis made a huge signing with him. But he had that gravitas with him. But Sevilla are taking a chance with mendy uh Villarreal are taking a chance with Pacheta. Um, Valencia, for example, took a chance with, with Baraja, even though Valencia aren't fighting for the top spots of the Liga and they are just destined to... Uh, you know, fight for to avoid relegation once again, which, by the way, is another item of the week. Uh, finally, Valencia's management spoke clearly, and Lei Jun Chan, the president, said that Valencia are aspiring this season to just remain in La Liga. That's mm-hmm. the main goal. Not Champions League, not Europa League, not Conference League, nothing. Just remaining in La Liga. And about Pacheta, I think that he did a great job uh, at Valladolid, and I think that if he wasn't sacked for... It was Petzolano, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that was one of those, uh, you know, Ronaldo Nazario uh, fits that From he Crisaylo. had. And he, has, he still has. He still has, by the way. I think that if Pacheta had remained, Valladolid would have had bigger chances of of uh, staying in La Liga. But, you know, unfortunately for them, um, there was a, a change uh, of manager and, and things weren't uh, south for them. Um, I think Pacheta might fit well with Villarreal squad because he's that kind of manager who likes to speak a lot with the players, who is very plain in the good sense. You know, he doesn't really like to stand out and he prefers the players to be the main protagonists. And I think that Villarreal went to a very specific profile um, and ultimately uh, this is Pacheta's biggest, biggest club ever in top flight, and his biggest challenge ever. So I'm very interested to see if he's able to succeed. I hope he does, because um, most of his I followed most of his career. You know, I, I'm one of those who watched him back in the day play, <laughs> because Pacheta <laughs> was a player before becoming a manager. And think his his um, experience after in the lower tier uh, divisions of of the Spanish football, later in second division, it has been always very cohesive and very straightforward he never lied to anyone he has never promised anything that he couldn't deliver and I think it would be a triumph for Pacheta and Real if he did a, a good job over there
1: yeah intriguing to see how that one goes I think he's been fairly unlucky in his job so far he took Elche from to B to La Liga, but then couldn't coach them in La Liga. They made a change over that summer after yeah. promotion. He then took Huesca from bottom uh, to just one goal away from Salvation. And then, like you say, by the lead last season, they were out of the relegation zone when he was sacked. So, yeah, who knows? They may have stayed up if they'd have stuck with him. But we're, Big mistake. We're, yeah. We're fast running out of time, though. So, Paco, you want to talk about Sergio Ramos? So, the floor is yours.
2: Uh, I think it's... Uh... One of the greatest news of the summer for La Liga, which has been slowly losing uh, top talent to to other competitions. When you talk about the Premier League, you know, that's the first uh, culprit. But you also have the the Saudi Arabia League and, you know, other destinations. So Sergio Ramos, uh, you know, giving up plenty of money, a lot of money. And leaving aside other very yummy offers to you know go back home and come back home to Sevilla, he said that in his in his first uh, statement and his first uh, press conference that uh, going back to his roots and you know it was a big uh, homage to his father and his uh, grandparents and he, his whole family
1: y bueno el último recuerdo que tengo de mi abuelo is museo no que es yéndose de aquí viendo cómo la gente pitaba a su nieto no.
2: I think that is uh, you know a, a signing which uh, Sevillismo and Sevilla really needed after a very lackluster couple of first games this this season and. Obviously, he's going to improve the team, you know, because Sergio Ramos, even though he's not as fast as he was, his physicality is not the same as five, six years ago. He has the maturity, he has the experience, he has the leadership that Sevilla really needed inside the locker room. I think that Mendilibar is going to really, really uh, be uh, thankful for having that kind of, uh, you know, player who he can... Be supported by and support in exchange, and it's going to be like right, his big extension inside the pitch. So huge news, massive news for Sevilla fans. I don't know a single Sevilla fan who is unhappy about designing. signing. And uh, overall, I think it's as I said, uh, great news for La Liga because he is going to deliver both inside the pitch and especially, you know, in press conferences and outside the pitch. He's going to be very, you know, uh, a deliverer of spicy quotes. And that is great news for us all.
1: It certainly is. I mean, while you say no one's unhappy, but the is Norte, the, the Ultras, they released a comunicado very strongly worded, saying that they reject uh, the decision and that it's a lack of respect given his past uh, goading of severe fans when he played for Real Madrid. So they are, they're not, they're certainly need to be convinced, and, and Ramos will know that. But equally, if you see the footage of his presentation, the Ramos-Franches-Pituan, You will see yeah. that the majority of the, of the Sevilla fans there absolutely
2: love to see him back. And uh, I'm it's just a great story. 100% positive that those BDs uh, signing the statement, which is you know absolutely uh, respectable by anyone. Uh, if Sergio Ramos plays consistently well for five games and scores a couple of headers, <laughs> they will change their mind. Uh, because this is football. We've yeah. seen this Very example cool. a thousand times before and we will keep seeing it in the future
1: indeed well thank you very much paco for your insight as ever you
2: can turn your fan on again now <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's let's listen to the button you know oh yes oh sweet. the relief. button of greatness <laughs> button of greatness
1: listeners if you've enjoyed this podcast and any of our other podcasts we would love it if you upgraded your subscription on substack lllonline.substack.com. paco what do they need to do
2: uh they need to upgrade they absolutely need to upgrade. It's not a choice. It's a necessity. Okay, so you guys should do that, especially as, you know, there's a league uh, going on. We don't have a weekend uh, with um, matches here and there, but we have plenty of news coming your way, and that's what exactly what we did in the last 30-something minutes.
1: Indeed, and plenty of written content on the Substack as well. Ben Salih's got a great piece out on Lamin Yamal making history, so... Check that out and upgrade your subscription. We'll be very thankful for that. We think it's great value, and we would love it if you would upgrade. So thanks again, Paco. Enjoy the fan, and we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks for listening. Adios. Como la Gol! Gol! De España la min Jamal. 16 años. 57 días, no hay mejor debut posible con gol incluido el séptimo para España.